You are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. We have our Bibles here tonight. Anybody have their Bible? Why don't you, why don't you show me your Bible? Anybody have their Bible? All right. A couple people. Oh, people, I see a couple uh, flashing phones over there. I guess that counts. You can turn with me to Exodus chapter 12, verse 13. Exodus chapter 12, verse 13. And it reads, the blood. Everybody say the blood. The blood shall be a sign for you. On the houses where you are. And when you see the blood, everybody say the blood. Blood. It will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt. We can all just bow our heads and pray over this word tonight. That it would go forth and land on good soil. That we would be changed and challenged by God's word in this moment. In Jesus name, thank you Lord. For this amazing opportunity, Lord, to be in your presence. Thank you, God, for what you have already done here tonight. For your presence dwelling here in this place. I pray, God, that you would use me as your vessel, Lord, to speak what you've laid on my heart for our young people in this moment. I pray in Jesus' name that young people's lives, Lord God, can be impacted and changed this week. God, that we don't leave the same way we came in, but that we are challenged and moved by you. I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody say, amen. Amen. All right, tonight I want to start off with a quick survey with you all. You may be seated. I'm sure many of you have seen pictures like these before. Uh, If we want to throw up one of those pictures, if you could do that for me, Mike. If you happen to see a woman's face, raise your hand. Yeah, a woman's face. Okay, some of you are like, I do not see a woman's face. But you know what I do see? A man playing the saxophone. Is there anybody that sees a man playing a saxophone in here? You see both now, kind of? Yeah, your eyes have been opened up to see both things. All right, here's the next picture. All right, how many of you in here, the quick show of hands, see a duck? You see a duck? Yeah, okay. All right, you see both, gotcha. All right, how many people see a rabbit? All right. Yeah, we see the rabbit now. You turn your head a little bit, you'll be able to see the rabbit kind of crazy, right? All right, let's, uh, let's look at the next picture. All right, this one's a little tough here. It's really easy to see the frog. Does anybody see the frog? All right. Oh, man, we're getting some commotion going on here. What is the other image that you see? A horse. Okay. Some of you are like, a horse? Where is a horse at in this place? There's no horse, yeah. No, there's definitely a horse. You turn your head sideways. 
Yeah, it's, it's there. The other way, the, to the right. You turn your head to the right, you'll be able to see. All right, and this one, everybody calm down for a second. Calm down, bring it in. This one, this next picture, this kind of took over the internet a couple years back, and we all have debates on what we still see today. Why don't you throw up that last picture? What color is the dress? Is it black and blue or is it white and gold? No one knows. Yeah, some of us might be colorblind in here, and I apologize for you all, uh, older hyphens who are dealing with that. Thank you, uh, thank you, Mike. As you can see throughout these pictures that we looked at tonight, we all don't see the same thing. And you could put up the title slide if you like as well. Some of us even struggle to see what others may see. It's hard for us to comprehend. It's hard for us to really pick out what other people are looking at. But sometimes we have a hard time seeing another point of view. And in the book of Numbers, we find, in a story we've heard a million times in our lives, and maybe for some of you young people you haven't heard before, we find that that perception is on display in this story. We see the children of Israel who had just left Egypt. They were freed from bondage and chains. They were, uh, they were freed from slavery and oppression. They came to the Red Sea, and of course the Red Sea could not conquer them. They were being chased down and hunted by Pharaoh and his army, but of course... That could not stop them. They're literally being led by God by a cloud of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. God's presence was made known in their lives, visibly made known in their lives. They could see the works of God being done before their eyes. They could see the miracles of, of protection and deliverance over them. They could taste the manna that God had provided for them. They can walk in freedom that God had granted them. And they came to this point on the brink of entering into the land that God had just made for them. A place that they get to call home. A place where they can find rest. A place where they can find peace and love. And a place where the Lord would reside with them. Where, he could, where they could grow old and they can live out their purpose in life without any doubt, without any fear, or without any worries. A place of promise. The promised land. And so God calls out to Moses in Numbers 13, verse 2, says, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. For each tribe of the fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. And so what does Moses do? He obeys God and he decides I'm going to get one person to represent every single tribe. And he says I'm going to get these 12 men and tell them to go spy out the land. He says here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to go into the land and I want you to see if there are many people there. I want you to see if these people are strong or if they're weak. Tell me if uh, their cities are, uh, cities are strong or they have strongholds over them or if they're fortified. He says, I want you to go and tell me about the land. Is it a good land or is it a bad land? And here's the thing. I want you to bring me back some fruit. Bring me back some fruit. Everybody like fruit, right? So the 12 spies are gone for 40 days and for 40 nights. And you know the children of Israel and the people of Israel are just in such anticipation, wondering when they're going to come back, wondering what the report's going to be. They're getting kind of sick of the desert in this place, the wilderness in this, place, in this moment. And so they return back, and the first thing that they see is two men carrying a stick that have grapes the size as basketballs. How many people like grapes? We all like grapes. Who's a green grape person? Oh, come on. That's the best kind of grape. Best kind of grape. I don't know what color the grapes were or if they had giant seeds in them, but man, I know those kids were probably just their mouths with water and thinking, oh my goodness, I've never seen anything like that, and I want that grape, right? And so they come back, and they're marching in with these giant grapes, and they go, and they go into tell the people what the report is. And so the Bible doesn't say it's Joshua or Caleb that stand up first, but I kind of believe it is. So Joshua or Caleb steps up before the people, and he says, I got a word for you. The land that you sent us to, this land is beautiful. This land is everything that we could ever want. This land has, has amazing fruit, obviously, and it also has, it is also flowing with milk and honey. I don't know what tree that is, but that would be pretty cool to see that. He says, this is the promise that God has for us. And of course, in that moment, the skeptic's like, hold up. Hold up here. Yes, there's some great things about the land, but you got to tell them the truth here. There's not just land flowing of milk and honey and big grapes. No, these people, these people, there are many of them. And they're strong. They're the Amulites and all the different kind of ites there. And they, they have cities that are fortified in this place. And, and it's going to take us, a, an army, to try to defeat them. And you know what? I forgot to tell you, there's tall people there. <laughs> Not like tall people like six foot two, but there's giants there. There are some big old people there, and there is no way that we can defeat them. We are like grasshoppers in their sight. We're small. We're little. There's no way we can destroy them. And of course, hearing that, you have Caleb decide to stand up because the crowd is going crazy. At this point, after hearing that, you have babies crying, you got kids crying, you got dogs barking, 
You got, uh, you got people passing out because they're in fear and worry. And Caleb tries to get up there and calm the crowd. And he says, calm down and listen. We got this. Let's go up right now and take what is ours. I don't care how strong their walls are. I don't care how, how strong their people are or how big they may be. God has given us this land. He even goes to the point where he starts to call them bread. He says, I will eat them like bread. I don't know what Caleb's eating for breakfast, maybe giants one day. Uh, walls the next, but he says, we're going to eat them like bread. We'll swallow them right up. And in this moment, we see the power of perception. Every spy saw the same exact thing like we all saw the same exact picture. But they drew a different conclusion. The ten spies decided to focus on the giants of the land. They were too caught up in their own limitations, seeing how difficult the situation was, seeing how powerful the enemy was, seeing what could defeat them instead of magnifying God. They decide, I'm going to magnify the giants in my life. And on the other side, you have Joshua and Caleb who saw the land as a promise from God, a land rich and to be desired, a land flowing of milk and honey, and they were ready for new owners in that land. They weren't oblivious to the, to the giants that were there, but they put their trust and their faith in God who carried them each and every way, each and every step of the way. They put their hope in a God who is all-powerful. They put their hope in a God who has all authority. They put their faith in God. They magnified God. And because of what the children of Israel heard and what they perceived, that day they allowed the spirit of fear to grab a hold of them and they resented God and they resented the leadership God has put in place and they forgot the one who was in control. You see, what we magnify in our lives will dictate our thoughts, it will control our attitude, and it will determine our actions. I want to ask a couple young men to join me. I got uh, Cameron and, and Noah. I'm going to do a little illustration with you all. Can we give it up for Cameron and Noah for helping us out? Noah, I'm going to have you come stand over here. You're staying right here. And right here we have Cameron. So Noah is us. This is us and Cameron Gets to be God today. That's awesome, right? Don't let it get to your head. All right? So Cameron is God and Noah is us. And so in the year 2020, we decide, or we don't decide, we get shooken up, right? A worldwide pandemic happens and it takes control over our thoughts, over our actions, over our minds and over our attitudes. And we decide to let this be a little bit of a stumbling block in our lives. 
And at first, we don't think it's that big of a deal. We think, hey, there's a pandemic there, but guess what? I can still see God. You know, he's still there sitting on the throne. I can still worship him. It's not that big of a deal. But then March happens in 2020. And, you know, out of abundance of caution, that's a phrase that we use, everyone uses, the church decides to go online. And, you know, at first, it's a little bit of an inconvenience for us, you know, but we're still having great service. You know, we're still worshiping God. We get just to sit at home now and worship God. And, you know, it really doesn't prevent us from seeing God or feeling God or being, you know, being able to be a part and and see what God's doing. But then Ohio decides we're going to go on lockdown. And you're going to have to sit at home for only two weeks, guys, right? (laughs) Two weeks. And, you know, it's not that big of a deal uh, until you have a dog running around in your living room and you have a two-year-old playing and, you know, let's not even talk about the cell phone in her hand while we're trying to watch church. And before you know it, these little stumbling blocks have started to get some roots in our lives. And you know what? Instead of seeking God's face and seeking out what God desires for me and reading my Bible and praying every day like I should, instead, I'm just going to pick up my phone and I'm just going to see what's going on in the world today. And I'm going to check out what the new TikTok dance is. Right, because we got to get those down. We won't look cool in Walmart unless we do. Right? And before you know it, we come across some summer of 2020 with some social unrest. It's here at our doorstep, knocking. No way to avoid it. No way to go around it. It grabs our attention. It grabs our thoughts. And we try to figure out what we should do as Christians and as people. So you know what we do? We focus on it. We check it out. And then fall of 2020 happens, and guess what? President election 2020, right? There was no way to avoid that. You know? Conspiracies, who should have won, who didn't win, who, who's in office, you know, those kind of things, and it's taking control. And then we start to top it off with restrictions. I have to register for service now. I have to be socially distanced from my friends. I have to wear these masks all the time. I don't want to do that. And before you know it, what seemed to be just a small stepping stone has turned into a giant in our lives. Preventing us from seeing what God is doing, feeling what God is doing, and stopping us from living in the purpose that God has for our lives because we are so caught up in the world. Listen, Oxano, your vision of who God is 
obscured by, I'm sorry, when your vision of who God is is obscured by what you're going through or what you focus on, something that seems very small, like a little mask, can prevent you from seeing what the Lord is doing. And this thing which started off small, this thing which I could have just walked over, I could have just kicked to the side, now has taken roots in my life. This little issue has continued to, that I've continued to feed and nurture and magnified is now preventing me from feeling the presence of God. And now it has blocked my view from seeing what God has been doing in my life and those around me. How is it that I let this anxiety take control over me? How is it that I let this little seed of doubt command my attention? How is it that this little six-inch piece of cloth hinder my worship? It's because I magnified it. I've magnified it to the point where I can't see or feel God. And listen, Oxano, I don't know what giants you are facing in your life. I don't know what obstacles you have before you. It could be that you feel left out. It could be that you're dealing with some insecurity. It could be stress over your future. It could be money. It could be worry that you're not good enough. But I want to let you know tonight that God has not left you nor forsaken you. God is still right there. It may seem hard to understand, but God is still in control. You see, even when you don't see him, God is still working. And even when you don't feel him, he is still moving upon your behalf. God has not quit. God has not taken a vacation. God is faithful, and he is there to be the present help in time of need. And in the middle of a worldwide pandemic, God was still doing an incredible thing across the world. It may not have been visible to us, but only in a matter of days, revival, miracles, signs, and wonders were being poured out across the world. In Myrtle Creek, Oregon, 28 children were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. In Guyana, 122 people were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. In Fort Worth, Texas, five people were baptized and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost in a nursing home. God was not standing still or silent. In Bangladesh, 120 people were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. 30 people received their miracles in Bangladesh. In Venezuela, 107 new pastors were ordained. In San Francisco, 35 people received their miracle. In Chapel of Mexico, a witch tried to stop a service, but she left with the Holy Ghost. God was not trying to, God was not stopping and standing still. He wasn't going to stop because he, we were distracted. No, God, what, what he was doing was he was continuing to change lives individually and collectively and across the world. A prison ministry in Ohio had eight filled with the Holy Ghost and 28 baptized. In Vietnam, 12 were baptized and five filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
In Romania, 36 people were filled with the Holy Ghost. Three Trinitarian pastors received the revelation of the oneness of God. And guess what? It didn't just happen across the world. It also happened in this very church. Oxano, young people were getting filled with the Holy Ghost over there at the Bishop Center. P7 Bible clubs were impacting school across Cincinnati. God was providing college tuition to those in need. God was calling people and confirming the callings on their life. Calvary people were being delivered of depression. Calvary people were being healed of physical pain. Calvary people were restored with broken families and their relationships. God provided financial blessings. God provided provision. God protected the elders in our church. Come on, somebody. People are being baptized in Jesus' name. Lives are being changed. People are being healed. Hallelujah. And although you may not have noticed, and although you may not have seen or felt these things take place around you in the last year, because we were so caught up in the world, it doesn't mean that you can't experience them right now. God is not finished, young person. God is not going to just stop. No, God is going to continue to do the miraculous in people's lives. More people will be baptized in Jesus' name. More people will be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. More people will receive their miracles in Jesus' name. Question is, do you want to be a part of it? Or do you just want to be a bystander? Do you want to be a part of what God is going to do in your schools, in your church, in your city, and in our nation? You see, in order for us to live out the plans and purpose that God has for our lives, we must minimize the giants and magnify the Lord. Oksana, when we begin to put God first in our lives and seek after his face, God will begin to become enlarged in our lives. When we decide to pick up the word of God instead of putting or picking up our phones, God becomes magnified in our lives. When we choose to spend time in prayer with our creator, God will be magnified in our lives. When we decide to testify of God's goodness and mercy to those around you, God will become magnified in our lives. David said in Psalms 34, 3, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name, not just by myself, but together. When I read stories throughout the Bible of Daniel refusing not to pray, when I read stories of Elijah facing the prophets of Baal, when I read stories of the three Hebrew boys refusing to bow, God gives me strength and faith that I know he can do it with me. When I read about how God used Saul, who used to be, or who used to be Saul, but who now is Paul, to do the work of him, it gives me strength and faith that God can still use me. When I read about the Israelites stepping into the Jordan River or marching around the walls of Jericho, God gives me courage to step out and be bold. Whatever you're facing tonight, God can give you what you need to make it through. 
Your giant tonight is a physical need. It's time to magnify the great physician. If your giant is the idols in your life, it's time to magnify the most high God. If your giant tonight is a financial need, it's time to magnify the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. If your giant is anxiety or depression or fear, it's time to magnify the Prince of Peace. Whatever your giant is, it is no match for our God. Our God is all-powerful. Our God is all-knowing. Our God is a miracle worker. And He cares for you. And He loves you. He said, if you abide in me, He says, I will abide in you. He says, if you draw near unto me, I will draw near unto you. He's like the father of the prodigal son. He doesn't just sit there in his palace and wait for you to come to him, but instead he sees you from far off and he says, I'm going to run and chase after you. We can all stand. Are you thankful for the faithfulness of God in your life? Amen. Well, out of direction of God, um, this is going to be somewhat of a unique altar call. I'm going to ask every Oxano member to come stand up here. And I would like every single parent that's in this place to come and stand behind their child. And if... Come on, youth. Yeah, you can step on up. I know it's a little nerve-wracking, but it'll be okay. I want every parent to come stand behind their child. If you see that there's a parent or a a child up here or a young person up here that doesn't have a a guardian or parent in this house and you're willing to step up and, and be that person, I ask that you'd please do so. Please step up and help this young person. Amen. Amen. As a young teenager, my mom was working full-time, was also a full-time student in nice classes, trying to get her degree and raise a couple kids. There were a few years of my life that I vaguely remember that I didn't see my mom too much. She was busy. He was trying to support our family. But I do remember one thing. My mom always made it a point to drive us to school in the morning. And my mom, she used to drive this old purple station wagon, Toyota station wagon. Had the 93-3 symbol at the, you know, finger pointing in the air, hoping that Caleb was going to call her. And my mom would drive me up to the school as a young teenager and, and you know, like most parents do, they, they don't intend to embarrass you, but sometimes they do. And my mom would drive me all the way to the front of the school. And before I would get out, before she would let me leave, she would pray for me. And she wouldn't just 
say a simple, nice prayer. No, my mom would pray for me to the point of like tears. And you're like, mom, goodness. And, you know, I don't remember too many of her prayers, but she always said a specific thing to me. As she prayed over me, grabbing my hand, she said, Lord, I plead the blood of Jesus over Anthony today. I plead the blood of Jesus over him and his life. Lord, whatever comes his way, whatever situation that he might face today, God, protect him and God, use him. Let him know that you are his. I know there's some parents here tonight that pray for their kids. I know that there are. But I know there's some kids here tonight who haven't really heard their parents pray for their kids. And that makes me sad. Because what these teenagers need more than anything in their life is for the Lord to be magnified in their home. To be magnified not just at church or at your job or, or uh, you know, at Walmart at night, but to be magnified in your house. And when I think back about my mom saying, I plead the blood over you, she, I used to think, what does that even mean? But as I got older, I realized that when the children of Israel were stuck in bondage in Egypt, Moses told them to paint, to go into your house, to sacrifice the lamb, and to brush the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. So that when the, day, when, when, the, when the death angel would come by, you and your family would be safe. It was each individual household that was responsible to paint the blood on the doorpost. It wasn't the priest's job to go house to house to house to make sure that you were okay to make sure that you had blood there it wasn't Moses's job it was the parents it was their responsibility and I, I truly feel in my heart tonight that these young people more than anything else they need the, the Lord to be magnified in their homes they need reading the word of God to be magnified in their homes. They need your prayers to be heard in their homes. And there's some young people here tonight who are on a fork of a road trying to decide what I'm going to do. Am I going to continue to magnify the things of the world or am I going to magnify God? And some parents here tonight need to pray the blood of Jesus that would cover their life so that when trial comes they don't stumble over it but that they're so focused on God that everything else seems small this podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio 
For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.